3: Claire Suddeth shows up her baby's daycare and goes through a ritual that is wholly unfamiliar to me. A person with a couple of kids and 10 years of drop-offs and pickups under my belt.
4: One of the workers comes out, um, the caregivers comes out um, with a little forehead thermometer and checks uh, my daughter's forehead temperature because they won't take any kids if they have even a low fever. And... Then they take her from you and take her inside, and you cannot go in.
3: Claire's been inside her daycare exactly twice. Her daughter's 16 months old. So when you first start, it's
4: just gut-wrenching, and you, the parents cry, or at least I did.
3: When my kids were little, I was at my kids' daycare so often that I kind of wished for Claire's reality once or twice. There was an annual holiday performance, Mother's Day and Father's Day breakfasts, moving up ceremonies. Claire's daycare, it used to be like that too.
4: And I know that in pre-pandemic times, they would have like a Halloween party at my daughter's daycare and like the parents would come and it was like this whole thing, which they obviously don't do anymore. And I was like, oh. Childcare and daycare before the pandemic is completely different than what it is now.
3: During her working hours, Claire's a reporter for Bloomberg Business Week. And she always knew childcare was a fraught marketplace. But with her daughter, she's gotten this up-close look at the way the pandemic has been stretching and warping the childcare business. She would read some statistic, like that a third of daycare providers are considering quitting, for instance. And then she'd go get her kid and realize that statistic was happening to her. My daughter's favorite caregiver
4: had to quit, Um, not because she didn't like it, not because she didn't uh, not want to care for kids, but she got pregnant herself and is going to have all of these other costs. And then there was another caregiver who was her replacement who had to quit after two weeks because she had a family emergency. Her grandfather died and she had to go home to help her family. And so now there are new people. And my daughter is only one, so she's sort of taken this all in stride.
3: But no one wants this. Do you feel kind of lucky to have anything at all when it comes to child care? Oh, yeah.
4: Because the pandemic made everything for parents and
3: childcare businesses so immeasurably worse. Today on the show... Daycares might not be letting parents in the front doors these days. But Claire wanted to know, what's going on in there? And will the Democrats' Build Back Better plan be able to fix what she calls the most broken business in America? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick around. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card. Your article was called How Childcare Became the Most Broken Business in America. So I'm hoping you can explain a little bit how we got here. Because the weird thing about childcare is it's n- not a secret that the system isn't working. Like Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has said, childcare is a textbook example of a broken market. So why is that the case? Well,
4: while the US government has been hesitant to subsidize daycare, child care, it has no problem regulating it as it needs to. Over the years and decades, we have come up with a list of, of rules that licensed childcare facilities have to follow and they get inspected to ensure that the the children that they care for are safe. The priciest regulation, this is like the real sticking point. You know, there's like square footage per child and fire safety codes, earthquake preparedness, CPR classes, obviously you have to take infant CPR, all that sort of stuff. But the, the priciest one, the one that is like why childcare is so expensive, is that you need one caregiver for every three to four infants, which is children two or younger, depending on the state. So some states say three, some states say four. And the reason that is is because babies need constant supervision. So the labor costs are so high for child care relative to other industries. It's like 60%
3: of a child care center's costs go to wages. I read that by comparison, like a restaurant spends 30% of their budget on wages. So it's, yeah. it's double.
4: Yeah, and restaurants are also fairly labor intensive. You know, like, yes, there's some automation in fast food restaurants, but like, if you go to a restaurant and you sit down at a table, a server is going to come over to you. But a server can see a lot of different tables with a lot of different people. They're not serving three customers per server for
3: eight to 10 hours a day at a stretch with only small breaks. With childcare, there is this unresolvable tension. You need a certain number of workers to look after the kids for regulatory reasons, for safety reasons. But more teachers means more salaries to pay. As a result, the people who run child care centers squeeze as much money as they can out of every family. You know, I pay $22,000 a year for daycare in Brooklyn.
4: I don't know the salaries of the people who are caring for my daughter right now as I'm talking to you, but I can guarantee they're not making bank right and if you want them to make more money which i would i want them to make more money they provide a service that like i can't put a price tag on because i can't pay what i think that they should be paid but if you want to double their pay then you're going to double my costs i mean not exactly but close to it right so instead of twenty-two thousand dollars a year i would pay Thirty thirty five
3: thousand $35,000 a year. And then I guess you have to make a choice, which is, right. can I afford $35,000 a year? How much of my paycheck is that?
4: Right. And every time it goes up, as it has risen exponentially, like the cost of childcare since the 1970s is like so far off the charts. It's so far beyond inflation and stuff. It's like, it's kind of like, you know, healthcare or something like that. Like we know it's so expensive and so many working parents are already priced out that when you raise prices that
3: much, even more people are priced out and it becomes less affordable. Yeah. I mean, one of the things you found in your reporting was how the costs, as they get passed on to the consumer, the way that those costs, they follow, women especially, throughout the rest of their lives. The fact that they have to invest so much in childcare just to sort of keep moving means that later on down the road, they're much worse off. I wonder if you have a story that exemplifies that. Oh, gosh, I have
4: a million. But um, there's one woman that I talked to who I think sort of best embodies this. Her name is Liz. Uh, she's an attorney in North Carolina. Today, she's the mother of three. Um, but she was a single mom with a two year old when she went to law school and moved to North Carolina for law school and started looking for daycares. And costs were so prohibitive for her. You know, she's looking at $1,000, $1,200 a month. And she's a single mom on a law student budget. And she didn't even entertain the idea. Like there, there was no way to make that work. She applied to a, a state program in North Carolina for low-income um, women going back to School, but it turns out it's only for undergraduate degrees. So, long story short, she didn't qualify, so didn't get any money through the state. Um, so, instead, she took out a student loan and used her student loans to pay for daycare, so that then she could go to law school and become a lawyer and make more money. So, she graduated law school with somewhere between one hundred thirty and one hundred forty thousand dollars in student loans. Oh my gosh! Then you know she. Met the man who's now her husband, got married, was pregnant when she took the bar exam, put her daughter in um, daycare when she was six weeks old, and went to work as an attorney. And she says she made at the time about $45,000 a year, which was just enough, you know, after taxes and everything is taken out for her to pay for childcare for her two kids now. So she's a lawyer. She's making money. It's all going to child care so that then she can continue to be a lawyer. And she kept saying, I just think of this as an investment in my future. At some point, this is going to work out. So she's not even making money. No, she's just working
3: to pay for child care. She's just working to pay for child care as a lawyer. You know, so she's essentially like working on spec. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. For like. She's 14 years out of college. And I think it was six out of law school. Like she's, you know, mid to late 30s, like in her career, in it.
3: And it's still that hard. So what you're saying is there was a problem before the pandemic. The pandemic swooped in, everything closed. And that was pretty devastating to the childcare industry. For your reporting, I know you spoke to a lot of daycare providers. Can you tell me how hard it is for them right now? What did they tell you? I mean, if you talk to a daycare provider, honestly, about
4: how they have survived slash navigated the pandemic. It's like talking to someone who's come back from war. Um, huh. It, you know, they have to feel comfortable with you enough to to tell you, honestly,
3: how hard it has been for them. Here's something I don't get. Lawmakers in Washington approved $39 billion in childcare relief back in March. It was supposed to stabilize childcare centers. I mean, I read that like 2,000 daycares may have closed during the pandemic. What happened? That sounds like a lot of money,
4: and it is. Obviously, $39 billion is a lot of money. All told, I think it's probably I think about like 52.5 billion when you count up all of the different relief packages and money that is available. But this is a huge, huge industry. If you think of the number of working parents with young children in this country and the number of caregivers required to care for those kids, when you spread it out, it's not a ton of money. Like one in 55 working women in the US works in childcare or early education, but the CARES Act, which was the very first COVID relief bill, gave more money to Delta Airlines one
3: company, than all of those millions of women combined. Claire says she looks at the way the child care industry keeps getting stiffed, and she can't help but think it's got something to do with who is doing the work. This is an industry
4: that isn't just like majority female or skews female. Like this industry is female. And 40 percent of those women are women of color. Uh, many of them were not born in the U.S. There are many immigrants who work in this um, industry and so I think you just have a lot of compounding factors that have led us to not address this for a number of reasons. You know, I think individual people themselves who are the caregivers are not the type of people that are going to get the ear of a senator. They just don't have the the political clout, essentially. And on top of that, working women historically, you know, have been discounted. You know, if you want to work as a woman, fine. But like we're not going to pay for your childcare. You have to figure it out yourself. We see those same arguments again and again. Like just this past March, the state of Idaho was awarded, I think it was like a six million dollar early education grant for low income preschoolers. Like this is preschool. We're not talking about should you put a, a newborn in daycare and they ultimately rejected it and on the floor of the state house while they were you know debating this um, there was a a state representative who said that he didn't think that they should take this money because anything that made it easier for women to come out of the home he didn't think that was a direction that idaho should go in
1: any bill that makes it easier or more convenient for mothers to come out of the home and let somebody Else raised their child. I, I just don't think that's a good direction for us to be going.
4: And that was this year in
3: March. When we come back, could Biden's Build Back Better plan fix this mess?
2: Just go to ramp.com slash easy, ramp.com slash easy, ramp.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
3: While the state of the daycare industry in the U.S. has been in shambles for, well, ever, earlier this year, there was this glimmer of hope in Biden's Build Back Better plan. One of the bill's largest sections is devoted to fixing childcare infrastructure. It gives out subsidies for a large number of families to cut the cost of care or even make it completely free. But Claire Sudith says, don't get too excited. The daycare industry is sort of like a Jenga tower. If you move one piece, another is going to come loose somewhere else. I
4: think the most important thing to understand about Build Back Better is, let's say it passes and tomorrow we wake up and everything is you know congress has gotten their act together
3: right cuz uh, that's not a given
4: right let's say let's say that you know what is proposed now is enacted it's not creating a whole federal program it's not even creating a whole federal subsidy program all it is doing is saying to the states hey we have a bunch of money that's available for you if you Come up with your own child care plans that meet a bunch of this criteria. But it is contingent upon all 50 states coming up with their own unique plans of how they're going to fix child care within that state. That sounds
3: like a lot of work.
4: Yeah. And it, you know, Build Back Better includes a lot of things that are necessary, completely necessary. Um, it is going to cap costs for families. Um, there's like different sort of income thresholds and different percentages, but in general, it caps it at about 7% of a family's costs and makes it completely free for low-income families. That
3: would be great for parents and people struggling to afford child care to begin with. It also says you have to raise salaries for child care providers to a living wage.
4: Yeah. So it doesn't exactly say what a living wage is, but I I think that the general idea is that it would be sort of on the equivalent of like a kindergarten teacher salary. And while that absolutely is needed because these people are making no money for a really hard job that I think we as a society should truly value. I as a parent value it and want them to make more money. But the only way these small businesses can afford that, one of two things is gonna happen. The state will have to subsidize that higher cost and give that money to the businesses themselves. Or they're going to have to jack up their prices to the families so that they can pay people those rates. Also, what I kind of think will happen is given the lack of specifications, maybe they won't
3: actually pay a living wage. Because living wage isn't defined.
4: Right. It's not defined. And like, I don't know what sort of mechanisms are in place to force states to comply with every single regulation and build back better. I say that because we have a subsidy program for low-income families. It's like, yes, chronically underfunded. Yes, only 14% of people who qualify even get any money. There are a lot of problems, but it does exist. And the regulations say that it's a block grant that goes to states and states are allowed to decide how they want to disperse it so it's a sort of similar situation of like the federal government's like hey we have money you guys work it out amongst yourselves states are supposed to subsidize um at 75 percent of the current market rate which means the amount of money that daycares child care centers um,
3: charge do
4: they do that no in reality only two states as of last year we're doing that. Uh, Maine and South Dakota were hitting the, that 75 percent mark. How do they get away with that? Because there's not a punishment. Was the government just not going to fund child care in California? No. So because there's not a anything in place to force states to do all this, and it's so expensive, and the amount of money that is coming to the states anyway is so low that only 14 percent of families or even getting it to begin with, like it just requires a stretch of the imagination to think that all 50 states are going to somehow get enough money together to provide a living wage to child care workers.
3: Yeah, I've read some people compare this child care plan in Build Back Better to the Affordable Care Act because like the ACA, This plan, it sort of allows states to opt in. And of course, with Obamacare, many states did not opt into things like Medicaid subsidies. So they could just not offer the program that the federal government wanted them to offer. And that seems like a problem. But then I also see this other problem with Build Back Better, which is the ACA, I feel like the whole reason it's stuck around is because it was permanent. It was a permanent program. But the daycare childcare program in Build Back Better is scheduled to sunset after a few years. And so Republicans had to get votes to kill the ACA in a way that they might not have to for something like this childcare program. They could just wait for it to die. And in the meantime, the way it's implemented could make a lot of people unhappy. So having it die, people might think that's a good thing.
4: Yeah. I think that's a fundamental criticism on both sides of the aisle of a Build Back Better. You know, people who support the act say, Whoa, 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 wait a minute. What do you mean you're gonna help us pay for child care for a couple of years and then it's gonna what, go back to normal? And also if you do miraculously give everyone a living wage. You're only going to do that for a few years and then it goes back down again. Like, that's not what we want. And that's not a workable solution at all.
3: I guess the hope is you convince the states to build enough infrastructure that they just can't roll it back. It doesn't make sense in some way.
4: Yeah. And opponents, you know, to this say, well, you're just saying that it's going to sunset. And it's clearly not going to sunset because once you get this up and running, it's going to be really hard to roll it back. My thought is like, well, both of those are kind of correct in that. Why are you going to put so much effort into creating this really intricate workable solution for only a couple of years? It's going to take years to get it up and running. And then you just you don't get the money again. Like the concessions that politicians have had to make to get this to even be on the table are such that I worry about the feasibility of the program. And yet at the same time, I think, well, I'm not saying don't do it at all because clearly the the road we're going on now is not good.
3: Yeah. Even if this bill passes, You've really sort of <laughs> opened my eyes to a system that's in crisis right now. Would money from Washington reach childcare centers in time to, I don't know, help the people who are looking after your daughter?
4: I mean, listen, I think the U.S. government, when it wants to get its act together— Has done incredible things. So it's possible. But by doing it as this sort of like stair step thing of like, well, then we get the money to the states, and then the states give the money, you know, have to come up with a system, and providers have to sort of apply to join this program. You know, if a state comes up with something tomorrow, you know, Build Back Better passes tomorrow and a state surprises us by having something ready to go, providers still have to apply to join the state's program. Like how does the state find the providers? It's not an immediate fix. Um, you know, I think at best it will take a few years. You know, when I talk to providers who sort of made it through the pandemic this far, um, a lot of them applied for the small business loans and the payment protection program and all that sort of stuff. and. Those programs had their own issues, but they did ultimately give them money. But they're still struggling. I mean, half of childcare providers now are still saying they're losing money. Are the providers you're speaking to optimistic? I think the ones that I've talked to about it have said that they want it to pass because they know that the way that their industry works now is not ideal but they worry about those high labor costs. And so they're hopeful, but, you know, at this point kind of so battered and shell-shocked that, you know, I don't think anyone thinks that this is like the thing that is going to save them. Claire Sutter, thank you so much for joining me.
3: Thank you. I'm sorry this was a bit of a downer. <laughs> Claire Suddeth writes for Bloomberg Business Week, And that's the show. What Next is produced by Carmel Del Shad, Daniel Hewitt, Elena Schwartz, and Mary Wilson. We're led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. But in the meantime, if you're staying off social media, I'll catch you here tomorrow.